0: I just want to say I'm glad to be here, aren't you? You know, I don't know why everybody comes to church, I would be naive to think that all of us are here for purely spiritual motives, right? I can admit there are many times in my life that I was not always in church for the right motive, uh, especially when I was under the age of 18. Uh, There were times that I was going to be in church because I wanted to live in the house that I lived in and eat the food that I lived in, and that was part of it, and even though I enjoyed being there, I didn't always feel like being there, and uh, even there have been times in my adulthood, I haven't always been there for the right reason. sometimes we come out of obligation. You know, that's what we have to do. If I'm not there, then my friend is going to call me, why weren't you here? And either I lie to them or just tell them I was being a carnal Christian today and did not want to come to church. And so we come out of obligation and uh, sometimes we come maybe out of duty, but I, I don't know why you're here today, but I hope you're glad you're here. And I hope when you leave here today, you leave here uh, with a spiritual motivation to come back, not just of an obligation because of what God wants to do today. I don't know what God wants to do all in every life that's here today. I do know if you're lost, he wants you to be saved because his word says he's not willing that any perish. So I do know that, and I know if you're saved, he wants you to draw closer to him today. And I know that when you leave here today, he wants to pack your spiritual suitcase just a little more, that you're more ready for his return and ready to be used by him. But I don't know everything he wants to do today. That's the neat thing about coming to church. You just never know what God has planned. I didn't plan on surrendering to preach the night that I surrendered to preach. Uh, I didn't plan on getting saved the night that I got saved. But God had plans for me. And I know God has plans for you today. And whether you came for the right reason or not, you're here. Amen, and unless you just decide to be really bold and protest and walk out of here, uh, you'll be with us probably the next 30, maybe 45 minutes. And. God's got something planned for you today, and I hope you'll let him do what he desires to do. It's been great, even in Sunday school this morning, feeling the Lord work in my life during the Sunday school lesson. And we just got back from couples retreat uh, yesterday and had a wonderful, wonderful time. If you went on couples retreat, would you just lift your hand? How many of y'all were able to go? Uh, several of you here. I know we probably had 10, 12 couples that were able to go and had a good time, didn't we? Ate some good food and heard some good preaching and Uh, Boy, they really laid into the men this year. You know, I told Leslie on the way home, I said, maybe next year we'll get the women a little bit because uh, uh, he wore us out uh, there. And boy, we're just really preaching on how the men uh, need to make sure we're on the same spiritual level as our wives. Oftentimes our wives are the spiritual ones, and how us men had to step up to the plate and what a blessing it was. And now we get to be in church today, and I'm excited about that, and I'm glad you're here. And I want to share with you a message the Lord laid on our heart. First Chronicles chapter 15 in the Old Testament. <clears throat> First Chronicles. Chapter number fifteen. When you find it, let's go ahead and stand together. Good to see Miss Estes with us this morning. Glad you're able to make it and be with us today. And good to see some of you who have been sick back with us. And uh, glad some of our folks who are sick today are able to tune in. <clears throat> pray for them. Got a little bug going around every, everywhere here and there. Uh, pray for our folks that so wouldn't be down too long. But let's get into the Word of God this morning, if we could. And We may actually be preaching out of this again tonight. Not sure exactly we'll find out from the Lord this afternoon, but I know we're going to be here this morning. First Chronicles chapter number 15, we're going to pick up in verse 1. Follow along as we're going to skip a few verses for the sake of time. The Bible says, and David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Then David says, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. Skip down, if you will, to verse number 12. David is calling all of the priests together, preparing them for this great duty of carrying the ark of God. He says, verse 12, and said unto them, ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel, watch this, unto the place that I have prepared for it. Verse 13 is one we quoted last week. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. Now let's pray together one more time. Ask the Lord to work, Lord, I thank you for your word today. I pray that you would bless it. Uh, Lord, I feel like the lad who had the five loaves and two fishes personally do not have much to offer today. But Lord, I give you what you've given me and blessed me with in this message and I pray you'd take it and multiply it today through your spirit and through your power. Father, you'd be glorified and that's what I desire most of all, that you'd be glorified and Father, that our people would respond to your word, Lord, in a way that's pleasing to you. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our theme this year has been repeated at length about being ready. And I pray that every one of us that are here today have a greater desire to be ready than you did a month ago. A month ago, we were kicking off the new year, the first week of the second month now we find ourselves. And I hope that a month in that your heart has been challenged a little bit through the teaching and preaching of God's word That you'd be more ready today and more ready to be used of God and to meet God than you were a month ago. I I hope you've taken some steps in your walk with God, but in order for us to be ready, we've got to know what ready looks like, right? Uh, I think about when I was a kid, and uh, I'm sure my parents remember more about this than I do, but uh, I'm sure that every time mom and dad said, hey, I want you to get ready to go, and I would get ready to go, that when I would stand before them as we got ready to walk out the door that oftentimes I was not as ready as they wanted me to be. You ever been there? Or if you have children, you know what that's like. You tell your kids, hey, look, we got to go. I know at our house we have to leave our house at 7.52 uh, in order to get Miley to class before she's tardy at 8 a.m. So we have eight minutes to make it down Elks Lake Road, get on 49 and get in the parking lot and race to the top of the stairs before the bell rings, okay? So I know how long we have, and so she knows 7.52, we've got to be pulling out of the driveway. We're not going to make it. So I always tell her, Miley, you got to be ready, all right? Let's be ready. You know how long we've got. We've got to be ready. And sometimes she is, and the other time she's your typical female, She's not ready. She runs out with her shoes, and she's barefooted getting in the car and putting her shoes on in the car. She'll probably have a few words for me after the service for sharing this information with you. But if you have kids, you know what it's like. You want them to be ready, but they're not always ready. I told my Sunday school class this morning, you know, they, you look at your kid, and you're getting ready to go out to eat, and they come out of their bedroom, and the boy's in, in, in short pants, and he's wearing cowboy boots and has his holster on and his fishing hat. And that's not necessarily the ready that you wanted for them. You wanted them looking a little bit more like, you know, what do we always tell our children? I heard it as a kid, you know, you ought to act like you're going to have dinner with the president, right? And uh, that's definitely subjective. You know, some of you are like, "Uh, uh, we're not going to go down that road and quench the spirit uh, before we get into the message this morning. But being ready is not subjective. That I get to decide, you know, well, this is what I think ready is and you think ready is. No, ready is determined by the one who demands readiness, okay? So if we're going to be ready to be used to the Lord and be ready to meet the Lord, he gets to decide exactly what ready looks like, all right? In spite of how ready you think you may be and I think I may be, it really doesn't matter what we think does it. What matters is the one who expects readiness, and we've got to meet his standard. Give an example. It's kind of like the TSA. Have you flown lately? Anybody flown lately? You know, I get ready to go on a flight, and my wife packs our clothes, and she gets all of our toiletries, and the three ounces of shampoo, and all of those things in there. And we're going through check out, uh, check in, and we go through, take our shoes off, take your belt off, get patted down. You know, uh, the good thing is the hair check doesn't take as long for me anymore, and they just make sure, you know, no switch blades up there. And uh, and so all of a sudden, the man says, "Could you step off to the side?" Man, I hate it when they say that. Number one, I I feel like I feel guilty. Like, do I look like a criminal? Do I look like someone who's going to hijack this plane? My wife says, I have trouble driving a car. I couldn't drive a plane. So we need to step off to the side. Do you have any weapons? No. No, I mean, I'm not an idiot. I'm not bringing a weapon into the airport. Could we see your wallet, please? True story. Give them my wallet, and they're going through my wallet, and they pull out one of those credit card knives that somebody gave me several years ago that you fold, and there's a metal blade on the inside, and huh. Oh, forgot about that. You know, thank the Lord they haven't thrown me to the ground and handcuffed me yet, or my wife would go on on vacation without me, I'm sure, but I wasn't as ready as I thought I was, and even though I said I was ready, the authority says I wasn't, and it's what the authority says that matters. Well, God is our authority on being ready, right? Don't come to the house of God and sit there during the invitation like you have never need to go to an old-fashioned altar because you're not as ready as I am, and I'm not as ready as you are at different times in our life. Readiness is determined by God, and if we're going to be ready to meet him, we've got to know exactly what he says we should be before he comes to take us home. read an interesting story, amazing story. I didn't think it was true and went back and checked it to be sure. There was a man back in the 1981, in the fall of 1981, by the name of Carl McCune. I read the story, didn't believe it, went back, checked it out, read the newspapers. It was a true story. Back in 1981, in the fall, he was flown by a bush pilot into the wilderness of Alaska, 250 miles northeast of Fairbanks. He wanted to spend the fall, autumn time, and the early part of winter photographing the beautiful wildlife that are there in Alaska. And if you've ever seen photos, you can imagine why someone would want to go there. It's just beautiful, beautiful animals. As he packed to go on this journey, he took with him 500 rolls of film. 1,400 pounds of provisions, two rifles, and a shotgun, but believing that he would not need the shotgun, he quickly took five boxes of shotgun shells and dumped them in the river, not needing, thinking he would need them or wanted to carry the weight with him. The only problem about Carl McCune was a simple fact that he did all of this packing and preparing for the journey that he was about to go on and yet, truthfully, go read it, when you get home, he never arranged for a bush pilot to pick him up. Carl McCune would leave a diary before he took his own life after being frostbit, stranded in the frozen areas of the winter as it began to settle in. And in August, he wrote this in his diary. I think I should have used more foresight about arranging my departure. I'll soon find out. When he was dropped off by the bush pilot into the, the wilderness of Alaska, he had all of these things packed. 500 rolls of film, 1,400 pounds of provisions, a couple of rifles and a shotgun. And he thought he was ready. The only problem was he did not think about his departure. About was he ready to be airlifted out of the wilderness And he sat there, and he waited, and he waited, and winter set in, and Carl McCune would take his life after he became out of his mind and frostbitten, and they would find his body later in February of 1981. He thought he was ready, but he wasn't ready. How truthful is that story this morning when you think about it as an analogy for my life and your life? How often do we pack our lives with so many things? We pack our schedules We pack our homes with things, we pack our bank accounts as best as possible, we pack our retirement accounts, and yet how often do we give thought to whether or not we're ready to be picked up and ready for our departure? I'm afraid that a lot of us here this morning are not as ready as we need to be. And the trump of God were to sound today, yes, you are saved and yes, you are going, but I don't know that you're as ready as you ought to be as at times I'm not ready as I ought to be and as God's going to demand that we be. Someone once said once that he provides for this life, but does not take care for eternity, is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. The question this morning we've been asking all year long, are you ready? Are you ready, number one, to meet the Lord? And if you're saved, are you ready to be used of the Lord that when he comes, you're ready to meet him? Now, folks, only God decides what ready looks like, and you and I will be measured against the standard of God. You're not going to be measured against the standard of the status quo of the United States of America in 2023, and yet that's how many of us live our lives. We measure up, do I fit in, do my kids fit in, are my kids happy? The only thing that's going to count is what thus saith the Lord when God comes back. And we've got to make sure we're ready. Remember in Genesis, here here was the time for sacrifice. Mom and dad had taught them to sacrifice. Here comes Abel, he brings the lamb, and Cain decides, you know what? I'm going to bring some vegetables probably celery. I think it was celery. Because who would want to sacrifice some celery, right? Get rid of them. Burn them there. God says, Cain, that's not what I required of you. God says, Cain, you're not ready. God says, Cain, this is what I require. And Cain says, no, I'm going to do what I want. Can I tell you, it didn't work out too well for Cain. He wasn't ready according to the standard of what thus saith the Lord. Now, I believe this morning that in order for us to be ready, we're going to have to be willing to submit ourselves to the standard of Almighty God. Thank God we don't have to hold each other accountable to personal standards, but the standards of Almighty God we're going to see again. Now, 1 Chronicles 15, what is it about? Let's tie all this together and jump in if we could. 1 Chronicles chapter 15 is kind of... The second chance of David to bring the ark of God into the city of David. We talked about this last week, okay? Uh, If you go back in chapter 13, David decides in verse number 6, he wants to bring the ark of God back. 13.6 says, David went up and all Israel to Bala, Bala, that is, Kerjath-Jurim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of the Lord the ark of, the God, of God, the Lord, that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. So in chapter 13, David decides he wants to bring the ark. You know the story. David gets everybody together. They put the ark on the cart, which was against what God said. The ark is coming along, and the oxen start to stumble, and Uzzah puts his hands up to steady the ark, and God strikes him dead. And he just said in chapter 15, we had a breach against us because we sought it not after the due order. We didn't do it God's way, and it didn't work out very well for Uzzah, and David was grieved, and he took the ark, and he put it in the house of Obed-Edom. Fast forward to chapter 15. David says, we weren't ready then for the ark of God, and what the Bible say that the presence of God dwelled between the cherubims. So the ark of God is kind of a literal visual, visual of the presence of God. David says, if we're going to do this, let's do it right this time. Let's get ready according to what God says. And this morning, here's the thought I want to leave with you. I want you to get this thought in your mind of getting ready right. Right? One of my mottos in life, I've told you this before, is about getting life right. That's what life is about, getting it right. Hey, if you don't get it right today and you make mistakes, take what you learned today and apply it tomorrow. All right? Get life right. No matter what, we live, we learn, we grow, and every day you ought to be getting it more right than you were yesterday. I I hate this idea that I sowed my wild oats, so I'm going to let my children sow their wild oats. Where did you get that theology? By the way, you got the scars from sowing your wild oats, and you should want better for your children. Our life should continually to be refined, growing closer to God, getting right more and more with each passing day. Now, God wants you to get right. Get ready right, okay? God wants you to be ready according to what he says, and David's going to show us how to do that, all right? Stick with me, pay attention, smile every once in a while, and time will fly when we're having fun, all right? Verse number one, watch what David did. It didn't work out too well the first time. He says, let's get it right this time. So watch what he did in verse one. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God. And pitched for it a tent. Now this is interesting. David says, you know what? He says, if we're going to bring the ark of God up here and bring the ark of God to the city of David, we need to make a place for it. Right? Now we're not talking about a tchotchke here, a cheap old piece of furniture that you picked up at a yard sale. Okay? Every once in a while I'll bring home some junk and my wife just smiles and and sighs. Where are you going to put that? we are you going to put it in the utility room till I figure out what to do with it? There have been stuff in our utility room for years. Never figured out anything to do with it. Okay, Now, we're talking about the ark of God. And David says, if we're going to bring the ark of God up, watch what he says. He says he prepared a place for the ark of God. Now, listen, he couldn't expect to have it and not be willing to make room for it. This is important. The key word I want you to see in verse 1 is the word prepared. The word prepared. He says, we want the ark of God which has the presence of God. We want that in our city. And if we want it bad enough, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make room for it by number 1. Notice they designated a chosen place. This is number 1. They designated a chosen place. Now, don't overlook the obvious that's here in verse number 1. When you read the first time in chapter 13, David did not make a place for it. David wanted it, but did not go through the trouble to prepare for the arrival of the ark. Now, wanting it is one thing, but wanting it bad enough to prepare for it is totally a different thing. It's like children. You know, you get that bug that you want another child, right? And uh, you're like, yeah, let's have another one. Yeah, let's have another one. But you understand there's a little more to it than just having a child, right? You're like, all right, we got him, We enjoyed those snuggles. Yeah, look, you locked in for at least 18 years, man. All right, you know how that works. It's like a puppy. They only stay a puppy for so long. You can't take them back to the pound, okay? You can't go back to merit. All right, we enjoyed snuggling with this kid. And you know what? We're, We're done. We're good. Scratch that itch. No, man, you're locked in. It's a life sentence in a good way, right? You prepare for what you desire. Now, folks, can I tell you this morning, I honestly believe this. I believe David was serious about having the ark of God in the city of David. See, how do you know? He prepared for it. He prepared for it. David was willing to make room in his city for the ark of God. How does that apply to you and I? Well, understand this. Although we might desire much from God. Can I ask you this question? We desire to be ready. There's not a soul in here this morning, I don't believe who wants to be not ready. We all want to be ready. But here's my question. Are you desiring to be ready enough to make room in your life to be ready? This is what David did. Watch what he says. Verse 1, the Bible says, and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Now you think about what this was. This was the ark of God that the priest carried into the The shallow waters of Jordan. Think about it. And the the Jordan stood up, the Bible says, in heaps. Listen, the power of God was present there. This is the ark of God they would march around Jericho with. Look, this is not a cheap old piece of particle board furniture that you got at dirt cheap for five bucks. This is the ark of God, where the presence of God dwelled between the cherubims that were there. David says, having that in our city is worth preparing a place for. Now, can I tell you something this morning? Being ready and being who God would have us to be is worth whatever room we have to make in our life for it. I promise you something probably had to get out of the way in order for David to have this place. Or could it be this this morning? Could it be we want it, but not bad enough to move things around for? I've told you before about the doors we have in our house. We call them our Disney doors. Uh, But let me give you a little context to that. These were doors that were on Main Street USA uh, at the opening day of Walt Disney World uh, 50 years ago. And they were $2,000 apiece. I placed a bid on them for $200 for one through Miraculous turn of events, the Lord allowed me to get that door and buy the other one for $100. And I was so excited about that because now we have these historical doors and we, they belong to us and we're happy to own them. The only problem is those doors are nine feet tall. Every house I've lived in, Brother Bolt, is eight foot ceilings. And so when we lived in Louisiana, they sat under our carport. Why? Because I didn't want to go move any walls to put them in. And now we moved here, and do not steal my doors. I got a ring doorbell. I'll see you. They're sitting under our carport. Why? Because I have eight-foot ceilings again. I don't want to cut the doors. And so I'm excited about having them, but hear me out. I haven't given them a place yet. Because in order to bring them in my home, I'm I'm either going to have to cut a hole in the ceiling, and that's going to look weird. You know, you walk in my house, and there's a door stuck up in the ceiling. I say, but they're Disney doors. They may be an eyesore, but it's historic eyesore that God miraculously gave as a desire of our heart. You see, I wanted to possess them, but I haven't made a place for them yet. I think that's the way God's presence in our life is. We want to possess it. I want to have God's presence and God's blessings and God's providence in my life. Here's the question, do you want it bad enough to make room for it? Are you willing to go move some walls around in your life that you could fit what God desires you have? If you're not willing to do that, can I tell you, don't be surprised when the trump sounds if you're not ready. God says you could have had it. God says I wanted you to possess, to have my presence and my power, my providence in your life. The problem is you weren't willing to make room in your life or prepare a place for me. Now give you a few examples right quick, whether you're talking about salvation or service, the truth of the matter is, you've got to make room for God. You've got to make room for God. You know why the rich young ruler turned away from Christ? He would not willing really to make room. I don't have room for that in my life. i got plans. i got all of this. I'm not willing. He was unwilling to make room. I'll give you an example. John chapter 8, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Listen to what he said. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. You see, the Pharisees heard what Jesus was saying and they're like, wait a minute, that doesn't fit what I want. That doesn't fit what we like. That doesn't fit what we want to believe. Therefore, they wanted to kill Jesus because the Bible says his word had no place in them. By the way, that's still why we get mad at the preacher a lot of times. Look, it ain't me you're mad at. That's why I don't take it personal. Because I know it's not mad at me. You're just smart enough not to be mad at God. So you get mad at the guy who's telling you what God said right? That's why I get mad at preachers too. It's not them. It's because we're like, in order for me to receive the word of God, I'm going to have to make some changes in my life. I don't like that. Because if I receive the word of God, I've got to make changes and move some walls around in my life. And I don't know that I want to do that. That's why Jesus said, you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. Sometimes I, I shout amen on that because I know how that feels. By the way, can I tell you, when you know you've Already made up your mind? See, the the Pharisees had already decided what they were going to believe. And Jesus' words and his truth had no place in them. The way you know you've already made up your mind is when you get mad and never ask about it. That's how you know when your mind's already made up. You get mad at the preacher, you get mad at your mom and dad, you get mad at a Sunday school teacher, and you're mad because you've already got your mind made up of what you want to do and what they're saying, conflicts with that, and you never follow up to ask them why. That's how you know you already had your mind made up. The reason the Pharisees wanted to kill Christ, their mind was made up, and they're like, don't cloud our minds with the truth. That's the way politicians are today, right? Right? Don't cloud our mind with a balanced budget, okay? we got plans. we got to buy votes over here. And in order to buy votes, we've got to go over the budget. And you're like, but that's not how this works. And that's not how it works with God either. You see, if we're going to have the presence of God, we've got to prepare a place for God. That means we've got to move some things around in our life. Is that not why John says he must increase and I must decrease? Oh, I don't have time for it this morning, but the the, the whole context of there, John had been preaching, preparing the way, saying make ready a people for the Lord. That was the mission of John. That's why God sent him. And here comes Jesus. And everybody says, hey, this guy is starting to come on the scene. And this guy is starting to shine. And people know who he is. And John says, it's okay. He must increase. I must decrease. John says, I got to shrink down so that he can shine. That's the way it ought to be. The problem is, we don't want that much presence of God in our life because it caused our life to shrink down. We don't want to decrease. That's why we're not going to be ready. Right? Number one this morning. Notice David says, let's get ready right. How do we get ready this time? We messed it up the first time. He said, let's give the ark of God a chosen place. If you're going to have more of the presence of God, I'm going to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter if you're saved, if you're lost and want to be saved, you've got to make room for God. You've got to make room for God. Give God a prepared place in your heart and your life. Luke 19, we know, or Luke 9, we know the Bible says if we're going to follow Christ, watch this, if we're going to follow Christ, we've got to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, all right? So here we are, let's just say we're packing the suitcase of life and man, we're putting everything we wanted in there and we're living this life for us. And boy, we're filling it up, and God, I've got what I wanted, my ambition, my desires, my possessions. And all of a sudden, we learn that if I'm going to follow Christ, I've got to deny myself in order to take up my cross. Watch this. Do you know why so many Christians cannot take up their cross? There's no room in their hands. You see, you've got to make room for God. If you're going to take up your cross, you've got to be willing to deny self, I'm going to put down what I have and what I want in order to make room in my hands for the cross that I'm called to carry. That's why today we're not, look, when a lot of us, when the trump of God sounds, we're going to be found with our suitcase of life, and our cross is going to be sitting idle. All because we weren't willing to make room, all right, God, I'm going to set aside my life in order to have more of your presence in my life. Before I give you the second thing, notice one more thing in verse 1. The Bible says, and David made him houses, lowercase h, talking about his personal ones, in the city of David, and prepared a place for the ark of God. Oh, I find it interesting here that David is learning how to balance now. That he was not only building his house, but he was also making sure God had a place. There's a picture of the Christian life if you ever wanted to see it. That you've got to do your life, look, you've got to live somewhere, right? You got to work. Why? Because that power costs money. That food costs money. You got to work, but then you got to balance it. Here's David showing us hey, I've got to balance my life and what God has called for my life all at the same time. And sometimes that's the difficulty, isn't it? Can I ask you this? 2023 is a month in. Have you made a place in your schedule for God? Have you made a place in your schedule for God? You know, I give him, you know, we give him Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I gave him that part. Have you made a a place in your monday for god have you prepared a place tomorrow morning for you and god have you listen have you prepared a place in your priorities for god well i'll tell you what i gotta do man i got kids and you know they got college funds and braces paid for and all this and all that all right hey i understand totally get it i got a kid too the older she gets the more expensive she gets she likes these vans tennis shoes man You know, she's not, you know, she'll take whatever I give her, I guess. But uh, those Walmart brands, you know, maybe not always float her boat as much as the vans do. Those things are not cheap. She's not even a skateboarder. You know, if you're going to wear them, you ought to at least skateboard every once in a while, you know, to make it worth it. Can I tell you, life's expensive. If you're not careful, you'll invest all that you have in this life and leave no room for God in your life. That's why, number one, David says, let's get ready, right? Number one, let's give him a chosen place. Number two, watch what he says in verse two. Then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. It's kind of interesting. Right out of the gate, David makes it clear, this is how we're doing it this time. Why is that so important? Oh, my goodness. It's important because if you look back at chapter 13, verse 7, the Bible says they carried the ark of God in a new cart. That was against what God said. That trespass would cost a man his life. David says, we got it wrong in 13, we messed it up and it cost a man his life, let's get it right this time, let's make sure we're carrying it the way that God says it. What is he doing? Number two, notice he's giving them a change plan. He says, if we're going to have the presence of God, we're going to have to change our plan up a little bit. The plan that we had last time was the plan of what we wanted to do. It's what we learned from the lost heathen. He says, but in order for us to have God's presence, we've got to do it according to God's plan. He says, so you Levites, you're carrying it this time. Can I tell you, here's here's one of the saddest truths amongst Christianity, and I'm just as guilty as you are. Oftentimes the reason we don't have the presence of God in our life, the reason we don't have the presence of God in our homes, it's because number one, we're not willing to make room. I'm not willing to make room, I'm not going to prepare a place for God, I've got too much going on, I'll squeeze it in when I can, but then number two, we're not willing to change our plan. We have decided what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Watch closely and I'll explain. Chapter 15 is virtually a do-over, everybody know what that is, you ever need a do-over? Maybe you're playing Scrabble, alright, uh, maybe Connect Four, something like that, and you need a do-over. Okay, I sneezed when I was rolling the dice, you know, oh, I need a do-over. And uh, my wife's a purist when it comes to game show rules. And, you know, no do-overs, no do-overs. I'm thankful God allows do-overs, aren't you? That's what grace does, gives us do-overs. Chapter 13, messed it up, cost a man his life. Chapter 15, David says, we need a new plan. Can I ask you, could David expect a different outcome without having a different plan? No. No, he, he had to change his plan. He said, look, the plan we had last time didn't work out too well. Isn't that the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and hoping you have a different result? Somebody said once insanity is heredity. It's the disease you get from your kids. Some of you will figure that out later. Some of you are like, now I know why I am the way that I am. Insanity is when you do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. If David did things the wrong way again, what do you think is going to happen? same outcome it's not going to go well David says we messed up the first time let's change our plan can I tell you if we desire to have what God desires we have in this case it was the presence of God you're going to have to change your plan every once in a while at some point you've got to look at your life and look at your home and ask yourself this question is it working is it working we look at our kids. Is it working? Is our plan, are we training them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Are we churning up our children the way that they should go? How's it working? Well, no. I'm just going to let them do their own thing and figure it out on their own. That doesn't work. And if you desire to have the home that God wants for you, you're going to have to change your plan and say, you know what? This it working. Every once in a while I'll cook, you know, and usually Leslie's not home and You know, I'm throwing stuff in there, just a little of this, a little bit of that, and mixing it up. And sometimes it tastes wonderful. Sometimes it's horrible. Sometimes it just grows into this mass that looks like it could be on a sci-fi flick. The blob coming down Hattiesburg, that's what it looks like. And there's, you know, asparagus poking out of it. It looks like it's growing arms. And at some point, you got to just quit throwing stuff in the pot and say, this ain't working. And I'm going to get rid of it before she gets home. <laughs> get it in the garbage, you know. Let's just go with the grilled cheese, Molly. That's what we're going to go with today. We know how to make grilled cheese. At some point, look, do you know how your plan is working or not working? Look at the product. Look at the product. Simple. You're like, ooh. David walks over to the cemetery and he sees a tombstone with the name Uzza on it. David says, our plan would work. We wanted to bring it on a cart. We knew God didn't say that. We wanted to do what we wanted anyway, and it cost that man. David says, I don't want to go to the cemetery again. I don't want to bury somebody else. we got to change our plan, and this time we're going to do it according to what the Lord wants. And oh, how that God blessed, and how they brought the ark of God into the city of David. Can I tell you, the order of your life should be decided by the outcome of your life. How you order your life should be decided by the outcome you want at the end of your life. At the end of your life, it's too late to decide how you're going to order it. I've been there so many times that folks are getting ready to go home to be with the Lord, and they would share with me some things they wish they'd have done differently. Do you know they couldn't do things differently? Why? They're at the end. You see, the order of your life should be decided by the outcome of your life, and that order should be decided by God. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, verse 2 says, then David said, None of ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for them hath the Lord chosen you know the order of your life, what it needs to be, what the Lord's chosen? That ought to be your order. Husbands, watch this. You ought to tell your wife, get along with your kids at your devotion time at night and say, look, I love you and because I love you, we're going to go by the order that the Lord has chosen. Why? Because that's how to have what God wants for you. The only way to be ready, David says, hey, let's get this place ready. Number one, let's get it a place. Number two, let's make sure we have the right plan. Oftentimes, we are a little late to the game, looking at the product. Sometimes we're a little hard-headed to look at what we're producing and say, you know what? It's not working. My unfaithfulness is not working. My free spirit's not working. My living by my desires and the status quo of the world, it's not working. David says it didn't work in chapter 13. Let's do what God says in chapter 15. Kind of like Jonah. God calls Jonah... To go to Nineveh. You know the story, we've heard it since we were kids. Nineveh said, uh, and Jonah says, nope, I'm not going there, I'm going to go to Tarshish. So he gets on a boat, and boy, God rocks his boat, and God sends a storm, and they throw him overboard, and God prepared a fish. <laughs> what I love is, the Bible says in, in chapter, at ch- the end of chapter 1, in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. And then the very next verse, which is chapter 1, uh, verse 1. The Bible says, then Jonah cried. If you don't see a Baptist there, I don't know if you'll ever find one in Scripture. It took him three days. Three days to get off his stubborn, hard-headed attitude to say, you know what? I don't think this is working. Think about it. And you're laughing because you're like, oh. Me and you are like Jonah. Jonah. Except for some of us eclipse his record of three days, sometimes we go weeks. No, I'm going to keep doing what I want. i want to keep walking my way by my order. But I promise you, there's coming a day where you're going to go, this ain't working. This ain't working. You're going to have your marriage and your marriage is going to be put together by your own thoughts and desires and your plan and your order. And one day you'll walk in my office and you're going to say, it's not working. Why? Because we got away from what the Lord has chosen. You see, he gets to decide if your marriage is ready, right? Uh, You ask Brother Bo, can I pick on you for a second, Brother Bo? Oh, he's fixing to glow red right now. He just looked at me like that emoji that shows all the teeth. (gasps) He's thinking, what's about to happen? I think everybody knows that Brother Bo and Miss Hannah are engaged, and uh, if they survive the marriage counseling obstacle course, uh, they'll get married here before too terribly long. And uh, we're going through our marriage counseling. Brother Bo will tell you, I'm giving them scripture. Why? Because I want their marriage to be ready. Not what I think is ready, by what he says is ready. You know why? He invented the home. (laughs) And so he gets to decide when your home is ready. Watch this. If you're not living your life and building your home by this book, it's not ready. Why? Because God says it's not ready. Number two, you may have to change your plan this morning. At some point in your life, you may have to look at the product of your home your heart, your children, and say something's not working. Could it be you're not living by what, the way the Lord has chosen for things to be? Several years ago, we were in Disney World. Miley was a little, little, little kid, and Leslie always loved riding the crazy rides. I mean, you know, I didn't find that out before we got married. You know, and she, our honeymoon, she drugged me on those things. I tried to act all brave and manly. I scared to death the whole time. Now I love them. And uh, so I would always use Miley as an excuse not to get on the crazy ride. You go ahead, honey. I'll sit here with the baby, you know. You know how to work that. And then Miley got tall enough to ride. Miley says to me, Dad, do you want to ride the Tower of Terror? It's a 13-story hotel. They take you up and they drop you in the dark. just sounds like something a Christian ought to be involved with. Miley says, Dad, I want to ride. Oh, oh. Are you sure, baby? Look, you don't have to to let Mom peer pressure you into that you're not your mother. You don't have to be, you be you, Miley. Be you. You're Miley. You're not Leslie. You don't have to do, you have nothing to prove. Please, Miley. No, daddy, I want to ride. Great. I had flashbacks to our honeymoon when she got me on there, you know, it was years later now. And so me and Miley are walking through the basement of the Tower of Terror. And it's so scary. I mean, all the, the ambiance of that place is creepy and and so we're standing there getting ready to get in line to get on it Un- in the basement. The big boilers there, flames and smoke, people screaming everywhere. And the cast members are freaking you out when you get on, you know, get into the dead center of this thing and all that, you know. And so Miley watches the people get in, buckle up their seatbelts, the door closed. So people, they're on, you can't see what's happening. All you hear is screaming. When the elevator comes back down, it's empty. The door opens mind looks up and says, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Answer prayer right there. She's like, "Uh uh-uh. You see, she saw people get in that elevator, and she did not see people get out of the elevator. But when the door's open, it's empty. (laughs) And she's thinking, why would you ride this? I'm like, exactly, exactly. And so we went out the back door and got out of there. Why? If this kid had enough sense to look at an elevator and say, people got in, it took off, people never got out, I don't want to be a part of that. I raised her right. Can I tell you what we do? Watch this. The world's got a wild ride. We shove our kids into its elevator. Most who enter into that never come back. And we're waiting in line to shove the next one in. At some point, we've got to look at the elevator and see the end product and realize we've got to change our plan. We're losing our kids. We shouldn't have a church of this size. Not turning out young people who walk with God, live with God, want to serve God, and are ready to meet God. But the problem is we don't have the courage to buck the system. We don't want to change our plan. And we're sacrificing our children to the ride of the world. They're having a good time. Woo! I still don't quite get it. I'm having fun thinking I'm going to die. I'm getting there. And they're having a blast, but they're not going to get off that elevator. David said, it cost a man his life. we got to get this right. Oh, that God would give us some moms and dads with the courage to say, we got to change our plan. we got to change our plan. We change our phone plans when it costs us too much. Oh, my goodness, we paid 55 more cents this month on our cell phone bill. We better change companies. And yet it's costing us our children, and we're not, we don't have the courage to change it. Why? Because we don't want to hurt their feelings. I promise you going to hurt their feelings a whole lot more to stand before an almighty God by their self. And here I never knew you, or here is as a saved young person, you're saved but as by fire. There's nothing because you lived your life for the enjoyment of riding the ride of what the world had to offer. Mom and dad didn't have the courage to change the plan and say, you know what? This didn't work. We're going to change it. Well, it works. Psalms 1830, the Bible says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. What is he saying? He says, my way works. There's a dead man named Uzzah. David says, we got to change our plan. It cost him his life. But you know what? God said, verse 2, I'll just give you number 3. For the Lord hath chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. I believe the reason that we don't change our plan, can I tell you why? The first time they carried it on a cart, a wagon, a pull behind. The way that God wanted it was, God says, put those poles through it, put it on your shoulder, carry it. Can I tell you the presence of God is a burden? That's why we don't change our plan. We don't want it to be a burden to our kids and people pick on them and make fun of them. We don't want our home to look like those holy rollers homes. And so we don't bear the burden of having the presence of God. And it's costing people their lives. Spiritually. Number two, David says, let's get ready, right? Let's have a change plan. Watch what he says to him in verse 12. I'm going to hurry, okay? He said unto them, ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. Really, verse 12 shows you some of the burden that's there. Watch. He says, look, if you're going to have the presence of God, I want you to sanctify yourselves. He says, you're not going to go any old way to get the ark of God. He says, go get cleaned up a little bit. David says, sanctify yourself. This was the third thing. It was a challenge to the people. He challenged them. Now, if anybody can tell you this, it's the preachers in this room. If there's one thing people don't like in America 2023, 20, is they don't like to be challenged. Don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me how to act. Don't tell me who to hang around. Don't tell me any of that. Can I tell you? I'm not going to tell you what I think, but I've got to tell you what God says. Whether you like it or not, why? Because I too have to stand before God. And if I don't tell you, I'm not ready. I have to tell you the truth that God says he wants his people to be sanctified. We hear a lot about salvation. We don't hear much about sanctification anymore. What is sanctification? Well, it's when we get cleaned up and set aside for God's service. Oh, it got quiet on that one. Let me give you scripture because you don't look like you believe me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. This is the will of God. Although it's seldom discussed, it's very much required by God. If we desire to have God's presence in our life, sanctification is part of that challenge. You say, I want God in my home, and I want God in my heart, and I want God in this church, and I want God in my country. He says, get sanctified first. That means set aside for God's service. It doesn't mean you become a Pharisee, all right? I have the word legalism thrown around so much, I don't think we even know what it means anymore. It's only legalism if God didn't say it. But if God says it, it still matters. And for the people of God to desire the presence of God, he says, get cleaned up and get set aside so I could use you. Now, you may not like it this morning. That's truth. That's truth from the very word of God. And we may get down to five or ten people here. That's fine. But the five or ten people that are here are going to know the truth and be on their way to becoming ready when God comes. Now, folks, understand this. I wish everybody smiled every once in a while. I wish you acted like, hey, I appreciate him telling the truth. But you understand this. I'll give an account to God for what I do and do not tell you. I want your children to make it. I want your home to make it. And in order for you to have the presence of God in there, you've got to have it his way. You can't go about your own way to do it. There's a dead man. His name is Uzzah because David wouldn't change his plan because he wasn't willing to challenge the people. Folks, I'm right here with you. I understand this thing of sanctification is tough. The Bible says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, from, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use. That's the bad news. We got it out of the way. Are you okay? I'm okay. All right. We're all right. Nobody's walked out yet. Can I end on some good news? What's David doing? David says, we got to get this right. We got to get this right. We weren't ready. We thought we were ready. We weren't ready. And that man had died because we thought we were, but we weren't. So what did he say? All right, let's clear out a spot for God. Let's have a chosen place. And then let's change the plan. Our plan didn't work. Let's go with God's plan. He challenged the people to be sanctified. Watch this, and I'm done, and we're going to end on a good note. And maybe, maybe, maybe you won't be like Jesus, want to kill me because of what I told you, okay? Watch verse 26. It came to pass, watch this, when God helped the Levi. That bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. The last thing I want to show you is a cherished position. You say, Well, what is that? Watch, watch, watch. When you choose a place for God, you say, I'm clearing out a spot for God. And you're willing to change the plan to be what God said. And you're willing to be challenged to be sanctified and meet for the master's use. Watch what God does. The Bible says it came to pass when God helped the Levites. I want verse 26 more than anything. I want God's help. I want God's help. I was getting ready to walk out of the office this morning to come in here. I stopped and and prayed twice this morning. Okay, sometimes you're like, all right, we better back that one up with another one. Not sure that one made it past the roof. In a minute ago, I prayed. And I told the Lord the same thing I told you in the back. I feel like the boy with five loaves and two fishes. To where, you know what, I, I may not have a lot to offer. And I told, here's what I told God. I said, God, I've studied, I've prepared, I got what you want, but God, that's not enough. What I could prepare is not enough. I got to have what only you can bring. I said, God, I need your help. God, I need your help. I ask God to flood the the reaches of my heart with his grace to help me in a way that I can't help me, to give me something beyond me, and that's what you should want. You should want God to help you today. Oh, I want God to help me as I bear the burden of the presence of God. I want God to step in and help me, and oh, he will when you give him a chosen place. Okay, God, I'm clearing off a spot in my life for you. I'm clearing off a spot in my schedule for you. God, I'm clearing off a spot in my priorities for you. And then, God, I'm going to change my plan to be your plan. God, I see where my plan ends. It costs people their lives. God, I'm going to do things your way. And, God, I'm going to be challenged by sanctification. I'm going to make sure my life is pure from some things that I am meet for the master's use. And then, once we've done our part of getting ready right, God steps in and helps Can you imagine what Central Baptist Church could do when God helps? How many people, you know, a lot of you got loved ones and you think nobody can reach them. Oh, they can with God's help? You think, well, my home is beyond help and my home is beyond hope. It is not. Quit being dramatic. You're acting like there's not a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. And he stands by ready to help if you're serious about getting ready right. Are you serious? Will you give God a place? Will you live by his plan? Will you be challenged to be sanctified? And then enjoy that cherished position of having God's help and that very present help in our time of need. Folks, let's get this right. Let's quit playing around what we say is right. Let's get ready right. Let's do it now. Heads are bowed.